Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is John Barr from the YouTube channel Here Be Barr. With over 200,000 subscribers, John has built a following on travel vlogs and top 10 things to do in a certain city or all sorts of different food reviews. That's right, food reviews. He travels the world eating amazing food for a living. It's pretty incredible. John's previous job before he was a YouTuber was actually being a sports announcer. He went to broadcast school. And by the way, this podcast sounds great because he's got such an amazing voice, obviously. But he felt like that wasn't something that he wanted to do anymore. So he decided to, uh, through Casey Neistat's kind of encouragement, uh, do YouTube. And here we are five years later. He's a full-time creator with a full-time graphics guy doing all of his thumbnails, a videographer shooting his videos, and an editor doing his edits. I was so excited to learn more about John because his channel is so unique and different than a lot of the other guests we've had on this show, and I'm going to be doing that more often. I want you guys to let me know, by the way, on Twitter and Instagram if you're enjoying these different guests rather than just focusing on the camera gear and filmmaking space. I think it's important to, as a rounded creative and a rounded professional, to learn about other creatives in other niches and, and learn more about those things. I would love to get more photographers on the show. I know we've had a lot of video people. So let me know your thoughts on uh, you know social media if that's something that you agree with. Also, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be experimenting with some different things with this show. I'm just, there's nothing crazy on this show in particular, but I just want to throw that out there so that when it happens, you're not completely blindsided. I want to experiment a little bit more with the show. I'm having fun with it. It's kind of my only thing right now because I'm not working with Indie Mogul. I'm not working with Kinetika anymore. I'm not doing any other YouTube stuff right now. This is really my main creative uh, focus. So I'm kind of wanting to try some more things to grow this show. So let me know on Instagram and Twitter, you know, at Dave Mays, what you guys think you want to see more of. I'm considering maybe doing some gear reviews, some first look impressions, maybe having a co-host uh, with my friends Zach and Connor, who's been editing these shows, having them all be a part of it, making it more of a collaborative kind of a thing and having guests on every single week, but making it more about different topics that we, we find uh, in our niche and kind of explore different ideas and different things. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter. All that being said, you are going to thoroughly enjoy this conversation with John Barr. Again, really unique creator, and it was a really wonderful interview. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So without any further ado, let's listen in my conversation with John Barr from the YouTube channel, Here Be Barr. So we're here today with John Barr. We just met each other here over our, our live stream, uh, but our mutual friend Jevin Dovey put us together. And uh, yeah, so thanks, thanks for coming on the show, the show, John. Dave, thank you for having me. I mean, any friend of Jevin is a, a friend of mine. I love doing these podcasts. <laughs> I've watched a few of your episodes. I think your show is great, so I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. So you're you're out there in uh, New York right now, is that right? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. I've uh, I've lived in New York for uh, ten years. This October, I grew up in uh, Northern New Jersey, across the across the water, across the Hudson. So this, this whole area has pretty much always been my home, the tri-state area. Wow. That's awesome. And how's it, how's it going over there? I mean, it seems like based on the news, it, it's quite like a ghost town, at least for the last, you know, couple of months, especially for your channel and what you do. I would imagine that some things had to shift around this last year. 
Oh, things changed a lot with my channel. Uh, things in New York are actually improving like crazy. In fact, this is a topic I have covered relentlessly over the last year. And it's a topic that a lot of my viewers are curious about. What's life like here? Uh, life is improving a lot. In fact, yeah. our co our I literally have statistics because I just did a video. Last I read, our positivity rate for COVID was like 1.5%. Um, something like... 45, 40% of the city has gotten one vaccination shot already. Things are reopening at record speeds. Broadway tickets went on sale today for oh, wow. a big, big opening of September 14th. By the end of this month, you will be able to go to a bar, sit at the bar, and drink to your heart's content till 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. They are basically <laughs> stopping all curfews at the end of the month. Like in the next... Okay. Uh, I think next week, outdoor places can stay open as late as they want. And then two weeks later, like May 27th, awesome. you'll be able to stay out completely late. Now, I don't know what the bars are going to do as far as crowding. That would kind of scare me <laughs> a little bit. But sure. I mean, to to be to be able to actually well, do it feels like a win to me. Well, I mean, uh, I think it is odd, right? We're, we're so uh, triggered nowadays that it does feel scary or whatever. But if you're saying 48% have the shot. I mean, it's, you know, statistically things are just getting better. I live here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Now I used to live in LA, but, um, it's essentially wide open. We went downtown, uh, this weekend for mother's day, there was thousands of people like just next to each other. All the bars were wide open going down Broadway and you hear all the music and everything. It's refreshing to kind of finally be back sort of to normal. And, uh, hopefully by the end of this year, um, we will be so. Yeah, I was just in uh, Florida a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, and there, like you described, I went to a bar and I sat at the bar and, and I looked at my wife and I said, "Wow, this feels really weird. We have not done this in yeah. thirteen months. This is crazy to be at a bar right now, just ordering with somebody." And they finally just opened that up in New York. That's like they're doing small, little, gradual changes, but by June first. If you're a tourist visiting here, most things that you want are going to be available, with the exception of Broadway, which sure. is going to come. It's in September. It's kind of slowly opening there. Yeah. So tell me about yourself. Like, how did you get into YouTube? You're sitting at almost 200,000 subscribers. You have videos with millions of views. Um, I'm curious to just know about you know your story as a professional. Were you involved in video? Were you a performer? How did you get into it? And then, you know, we can transition into like your beginning stages of actually starting your channel. So I have a, I wouldn't say I have an original story, but I have a story that you don't hear that often because so many YouTubers, <laughs> so many YouTubers, it's like, oh, I, I liked filming things or they had more of a multimedia background on the technical side. Yeah. Uh, in my case, I was a, I was a broadcaster. I started in radio and then I transitioned to television, specifically in the sports fields where I studied in college. I was a journalism major. And looking back on it, a lot of these skills actually came in handy with my YouTube channel. I may not have realized it at first, but looking back over five years, I think it definitely helped a lot. Not so much in how to film and how to edit. I had almost zero background in that, but uh, I spent nine years really chasing his dream of becoming a, a national sports broadcaster. I wanted to be a play-by-play -play announcer on TV uh, or radio. I traveled all over the country. I was a minor league announcer, 
know, I rode 23 hour bus rides from like Florida to <laughs> oh, Texas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. With, with guys who were trying to get to the big leagues. I, I broadcast for the White Sox affiliate in Great Falls, Montana. I saw a lot of the country doing that stuff. I also did division one college basketball. I did college football. I ended my career doing high school sports on television in the New York city area. I, I broadcast everything from field hockey to wrestling. I feel like there's not a single sport I didn't broadcast. So uh, I kind of I kind of hit a wall with that career after about nine years or so doing it. I really wanted to get this national gig. I was up for something and it fell through and I decided like I, I didn't want to do another year of um, high school broadcasting on TV. I just I wanted to see if I'd miss it. So I decided just to step away. And that was June of 2015. And I had about a year off from anything creative. And then approximately April of 2016, May of 2016, mm. I discovered a YouTuber who many vloggers will know, Casey Neistat. Yeah. I think like a lot of people. We've done a hundred and a, We've done 120 episodes and that may have come up at least a hundred times. <laughs> I'm it's sure. A, I'm sure. He, he inspired me as well. But I think for you specifically being a New Yorker, I'm sure it really resonated with you. It, it did resonate. And I saw his videos and it was, it was sort of kismet perfect timing because I had this trip to Europe coming up with my then girlfriend, now wife, Adriana, we were going to spend a, a couple of months in Spain and I see this guy on YouTube and I, and I never watched YouTube for vlogs. I'll, I'll, I'll plead ignorance. I didn't even know what a vlog was in 2016. <laughs> I just watched YouTube for old movie clips and music videos. That was it. So, <laughs> maybe some so, sports so I, highlights. <laughs> yeah, maybe some sports highlights. I still watch some sports highlights. But uh, <laughs> I, I see what this guy's doing. And, and I think yeah. to myself, he makes this look so easy. I'm going to go on planes and say first, and I'm going to show you cool cities. So, so I thought to myself, I'll, I'll try this. I'll be, I'll do travel content. I'll tell people what it's like to travel to uh, Spain. And my very first video was uh, almost five years ago to the day. Like last week was my five year anniversary. Wow. And I, and I went back and watched that video and, and uh, excuse me, it's, it's kind of crazy to, to look at like the original stuff that you make and, uh, yeah, I feel like I've come a long way since then. And gradually I transitioned from being a travel creator to if you ask most people, nine out of 10 would say I'm a New York City creator right now, whether I always want to be just known as a New York City creator versus making travel content as well is a different story. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose you could call me a New York City creator at this point. Wow. And so it, it was Casey, uh, like many who inspired you originally, but you've made it your, your own thing. And now, you know, here we are five years later. Jeez. That's yeah. good. Was Casey really that long ago? Oh my gosh. That's I mean, I think he kind of blew up blue. Yeah. I don't want to say peaked. I'll say blew up around 2016, 2017. Yeah. That was the totally, I don't know, like the Mecca of the Casey Neistat era. And then you saw so many vloggers, myself included, really trying to emulate his style, which maybe wasn't the best thing because that was it's too high of a standard for a novice sure. to reach, especially someone like me who had almost no background in filming or editing to to, to be so naive to think I could make a Casey Neistat vlog. I still don't think I could make a Casey Neistat vlog today, let alone back then. <laughs> well, there was a video that seemed to resonate on your channel. Um, and by the way, the name of your channel for somebody listening is Here Be Bar, which I love that name. Uh, Thanks. And it's spelled B-A-R-R. -R. Um, 
one of your videos that you posted four years ago, which would be somewhat around that time period, you posted a video called Living Cheap in New York City, $10 for a day. Uh, that video has 2.6 million views. Have you looked at it recently? That's insane, man. I've, oh my goodness. That was the first video on my channel to really blow up. And I think that most creators don't realize the kind of attention you get with a viral video like that, the kind of comments you get, the kind of personal stuff people say. Yes. Like that was the first time I really saw trolls on my channel. Now I've learned to embrace that stuff because that's a great thing. If you have trolls, it means you're doing something right because trolls won't find bad videos. They're going to find good videos. They're going to find videos that are getting pushed to a big audience. But back then, man, that was nerve wracking to constantly yeah. see like criticisms of a stupid video about living cheap. Yeah. What was uh, what were some of the feelings that you had there? Because I also experienced that early in my career. I had a uh, I had a, it was like a GoPro kind of thing that I got early for a review. And so I was one of the few YouTubers that did a review on it and it started getting views pretty quickly. Got about 30,000 in a couple of hours, which was good for my wow. channel. And I saw the trajectory, you know, YouTube was pushing it out and people were watching it, but I made them, I made a pretty cri critical error in the video and I even pointed it out. I said, Hey, I, you know, I made a mistake here, but just look past that. You know, we're just here to, to look at this thing. Because of that one mistake I made, it, like people were just so me. This guy's an idiot. This guy sucks. Why is he? Why is he get stuff sent to him? You know, and I actually I stayed up all night getting that edit done because it was like you know one of those products that comes out and you have to release it at a certain time. And I literally kind of went into like a weird depression and like kind of had a breakdown. I started kind of crying and I fell on the on the bed and like you know my wife was like your identity is not wrapped up in being a YouTuber. Your identity is you're my husband. You're, you know, I have children, my father, you know, the people that love me. And so like the, the, these stupid comments mean nothing. Like they shouldn't affect you, um, but they do. What, what was it like going through that for you? And what were some of those things that you learned in that process? I think that when you get a video that really takes off, it's, Probably not the best thing if you're new to your channel. I, I think it would be a lot healthier if you had videos kind of gradually growing rather than that explosion where the comments just flood in. Uh, yeah. I had a lot of similar uh, things that I learned to what you were saying that like they're just commenting based on a video. They don't really know you. I think we we take a lot of these comments too personally. And I would say that after dealing with something like that, like there's literally very few comments that ever affect me. And it's always dumb <laughs> stuff. It, it was mostly, I don't, I don't like the way he chews. His face bothers me, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was never, almost never. I don't like that jump cut at 115. Cause if people trolled me on stuff <laughs> like that, I might pay attention, but it was yeah. always such stupid things. And plus, it gave me a whole list of, you know, those banned words you can put as a creator. Like a lot of viewers don't know this, but there were certain words like someone like I have a little space between my teeth. I got a lot of comments. Uh, I don't know what's bigger. This guy's ego or the gap between his teeth, like such stupid things. So I put like teeth gap and all these comments that I these words that I put years later, they're all getting flagged and they don't even make the <laughs> channel anymore. So That's I think good. I actually I learned that you can control your audience a bit with things like that. Uh, but I just don't take it personally anymore. I mean, I, I think of it like being a professional athlete, slightly different. But let's say you're, you're playing outfield at Yankee Stadium and you're, you're the opposing team and they're yelling at you. I always wondered yeah. how the, how those players dealt with it. And I think I realized that they've just heard it so many times they don't care anymore. 
that's the way yeah. I feel now. There's very few comments that would affect me very little at this point, but you got to go through it. You have to go through sure. that moment and see what it's like to get that kind of negative attention. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's, you, you have to kind of develop a thick skin. I, I agree. I think if you're, you're able to slowly ramp into it, it would be better, but there are these uh, random videos that, and it's funny how the algorithm works. It's like, you never know what could hit, you know, it could just be the right timing. And then YouTube just sends it out to a couple people. They click on it, they watch it. And YouTube's like, all right, we're going to blast this out to, you know, a hundred thousand people. And then all, all of a sudden you get this, and it's always the video that you like try the least on too. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and that video was interesting because I created it, I believe October, 2016. And I always tell this story that video had 250 views after 48 hours. So for anyone who ever complains that their video didn't get enough views. My highest viewed video ever had 250 views in the first two days. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, it just exploded. And I think that that was because that niche on YouTube was starting to pick up this whole like living cheap, cheap eats challenges. Excuse me. Like that, that whole niche on YouTube was just starting to pick up. Now there's tons of channels everywhere doing like surviving on a dollar a day it's just a viral topic and i didn't realize it at the time and youtube eventually did push it and people did like it and it's uh, sometimes you know sometimes i wish i could recreate that magic exactly but it's difficult to get two million view videos i think we can all agree on that <laughs> of course well here we are now today and are you a full-time youtuber do you supplement it with other other odd jobs here and there freelance or do you are you a full-time creator right now I think you could generally characterize me as a full-time creator. I mean, I have some other things that I might dabble in from time to time, some investments. Uh, but I would say Dogecoin. this, no, not Dogecoin. I have a little Bitcoin, but uh, <laughs> no, not, not Dogecoin. That's funny. Um, no, mostly YouTube. And I think in the last couple of years with the view count going up, it has been easier to make it a, a career. Now, it wasn't so easy at first. Yeah. But over time, I feel like the more you can invest in your product and the better you become, you know, the more opportunities that will present themselves. Well, now that you've had the perspective, you've, you've had these years as a, a creator on YouTube, and you've had the experience as a, a sports announcer. What are some of the things that you, you know, looking back on that period of time that, you know, that you learned, but also things that you maybe don't miss so much? Like, were there aspects of that job that you just didn't enjoy at all or uh, things that you even miss now. I mean, you said you took a break to see if you would miss it. Do you miss it in some ways? I, I don't think I miss it that much. I think that I, maybe I burned myself out a little bit watching so much sports. I was literally just talking to my wife about this today. We were coming back from our supermarket in Brooklyn. I said, I must have watched four to 500 baseball games over the course of five seasons. And oh when you're a broadcaster, <laughs> You know, it's not like going to the game with your friends and drinking a beer and kind of half paying attention to most of the game unless it's a big moment. This is you've got the notes in front of you. You know, all the players on both teams. You've talked to the coaches. You know, all the strategies, you know, all you have all the stats posted everywhere. You are fully zoned in. So I, I think deep down, I was not such a big sports fan, but I was just looking for my creative outlet and sports broadcasting was that outlet. It was a way for me to inform people, but it was also a, a fun job because you could get excited about big moments. It was like you were telling a story about what was going on 
And I think I'm still doing that. It's, it's a different audience and it's a different subject matter. But in the end, I'm still informing people about a topic. I'm still doing research on things. I'm still getting excited. Maybe I'm getting excited about trying an amazing burger or slice of pizza versus <laughs> yeah. the play at the plate. But it's, there's still things that are similar between the two. So as far as like missing something from it, mm. I guess the only thing I would say is there was, there was always those moments where you'd have a really big game and it, I don't know, bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, and you know people are listening closely. <laughs> yeah. And I and I know that, especially on radio, radio was more fun, I think, where like you could really get those emotions just by the way that you spoke. It's like your voice was a weapon. I really yeah. liked that, actually. I liked that power. It was cool for me. I'm not saying it was a power trip, but I just felt like I was providing yeah. entertainment there. So that was maybe, maybe that's the one thing I miss. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah, the live aspect of it is invigorating for sure. I mean, I I can only compare it to my experience as a magician. I was a, a professional illusionist for six years and being yeah. on stage and being able to kind of control an audience uh, live is, is yeah. invigorating. And you sort of get that when you do like a live stream or something on YouTube a little bit, but not really because there's, no, fe- there's mean- no feedback. I mean, you do have the IRL streamers. Like I have a, a friend in New York named Action Kid. He's one of the biggest IRL streamers in New York. Although he's running, I don't want to go into it, but he's running into some trouble. Just, you know, you, you stream in public. You don't know who's going to come up to you. Uh, when yeah. I do a live stream, I would do it like this. I would do it from home. I was actually thinking of doing one for 200,000 subscribers, maybe. I rarely oh, cool. do live streams anymore. So you do bring up a good point. I wasn't thinking about it, but you're right. You know, when I do my stuff... I, I'm not saying I'm trying to be perfect, but when I record something, I, I know that I can always re-record it. The problem yeah, when it. I'm doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can always edit it. The problem, I guess, when you're doing a food video is, you know, you want that first bite to be good. You want to have a good reaction to it, but you can yeah. always edit it out somehow. You can always cover it up. So I do miss that live aspect a little bit. Sure. Uh, that is a great point. I, I I didn't think about that, but the live part was a lot of fun. <laughs> I. I, I want to get to the YouTube stuff, but I am fascinated because I, so I'm a, a brand new F1 fan, Formula One. Uh, and I am so like sucked into it now. I am a huge fan of it. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is, you know, you know, just winning everything and Max Verstappen, and the new guy, he's coming up. But one of the things that really stood out to me is there's like two or three announcers on F1 and it's the same guys. It seems like it's been the same two guys for the last couple of years. And as soon as that race starts, man, they just hook you in. And like, there's there, I pay for the subscription and you can, you can like see the feed from the race drivers. You can like literally see what, you know, their hands and you can even like see some other stats and things, but I keep, I just want to watch the edit with the announcers. Cause it's like, it's amazing how much more excitement that the announcers bring. I have to think like there's moments where you can, like they're bringing so much energy, but there's not much going on. And it's like that, that's such a unique skill set to essentially, I mean, you're acting you're because you're obviously not always excited a hundred percent of the time, but, and there it is for another grand slam, you know, or whatever. I mean, that's a big one. A grand slam would be a, a big deal, but like a first base run, isn't that exciting. Right. So like, uh, <laughs> I would imagine that that it just, it plays beautifully for being a YouTuber because I think it's something that people tend to overlook is the performance aspect of, of being a, a creator. There's so many people who um, get started on YouTube who have success, who maybe aren't, don't have a performance background 
and they don't necessarily consider themselves an actor or a performer in any way, but you're obviously on camera people are being entertained by the content. So you therefore are an entertainer. Um, and so having for me as a magician, I think knowing how to perform has helped me greatly. And I would imagine being an announcer and essentially having to fake excitement at certain points because <laughs> yeah. come into play. Right. Well, I, I would say it was a blessing and it was a curse as, as I look back at some of my first, I don't know, 10, 20 videos. And I, I could tell people to do this and, and find out for themselves. I think that I was too announcery when I started on YouTube. I think I was trying to be this travel show host. And I, and I started to realize that you didn't need to be a host. You just needed to be yourself. So mm. I actually feel like I toned it down over the last few years where I would really put on this strong broadcastery voice when I started. So it was good, but I thought it was too much. And also, um, it was, we you know, now I have a camera guy for most of my videos, but I never did videos, even when I was doing TV, where you don't see sportscasters holding a camera and vlogging in public and walking <laughs> around. These are skills they don't teach you in broadcasting school, I'll tell you. You know, when I when I first held that camera out, I'll never forget my first video outside just practicing. Like I was I was looking at the viewfinder. I was nervous that people were going to be around because you're in a closed off booth. Most of the time, people can't hear you there. It's very different than walking in public and vlogging and having more attention on you. People are watching and listening, but that to me was never scary. What was scary to me was people like staring at me while I'm talking about food and like all the tables are watching like, oh, <laughs> so wow, yeah. there, there, there were some strengths that I had with it. And I'll give you a great example. I was just talking to another YouTuber about this. I could do a video where I walk around my neighborhood and I'm giving updates about New York and I have little notes and I can ad lib so well because of all those years doing broadcasting. Like I'm just good at looking at a little script and quickly paraphrasing what I need to say. Uh, I think that I have an advantage on that, like writing scripts and yeah, these are all, these are things that I did for so many years. So you were just given that. That's a great point. I think that's sort of what I was trying to say is like, it's amazing how in period, you know, a, a race on F1 is two hours. I mean, a baseball game is several hours long. There's only certain moments that are exciting. You have to fill all this time, especially radio. Are you kidding me? Like you have to literally, not only explain what's happening so that somebody listening can follow along, but also make it interesting when they're in the dugout on a timeout. Like, what are you going to talk about? You know? Yeah, it's true. And I also think having a, a background in journalism and a background in sports broadcasting, it helped me be more concise. Like I don't mm. generally do very long videos compared to maybe some other creators. I love eight to 12 minute videos, 10 minutes max. Yeah, I, I like, that, I yeah. know, I know when to cut right as I get to a point and I know how to get to the point quickly. And these mm. aren't things that I realized were important until years later. I'm like, okay, well, that's where you learn that from. Like, I think I have a good ear and eye for my content too. I just feel like I have a good idea of what the viewer wants. And I think doing all that journalism stuff Absolutely. definitely was beneficial. Well, let's get into that now. Um, so you're basically, I mean, you've, you've said it a couple of times here, people see you as a food New York, you know, vlogger, but I mean, what do you see yourself as? What, what do you identify your channel? I, I see myself as a, a travel YouTuber who's for many reasons been kind of stuck in New York because he <laughs> hasn't been able to travel as much as he would like. 
Uh-huh. I don't know if that I don't know if that's a, a fair description, but that's kind of what it is. Well, it works uh, out I, that New York's one of the best cities in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I had this gem right under my nose. Like literally, I was I was living in an amazing spot to make YouTube content. And up until 2018, I was mostly a travel YouTuber. The problem with travel YouTube is that you go to certain countries and you get a lot of views and you leave those countries and you lose the views, you lose the viewers. And I've seen I, this happened to me horribly in Mexico. I was there for four months and I think I was getting something like, I mean, it wasn't crazy, maybe five to 10,000 views a video. And a lot of the viewers were local Mexicans who were very happy that I was American tr- living there. And I was saying good things about the country. I'm very positive. I wasn't really being critical. And then as soon as I left and I came back to New York, I had a huge dip in views. Then I went on a trip to Japan. I'll never forget this. I did a video about Kyoto. I had 20,000 subscribers at the time. And the next day, I believe I had something like 300 views. And I thought to myself, how is this possible? Is YouTube angry at me? I have 20,000 subscribers, but I have 300 views on a good video about Kyoto. And it was at that time that I realized the importance of audience and your yeah. audience watching you for a certain thing. And I am not this big personality creator. I, maybe I was naive in the past, but I realized that people watch me more for the content of what I'm talking about than my life. And I, I don't get super personal all the time. So it's also my fault. I'm not like, guys, here's how I'm feeling today. I'm not one of those creators who people are really watching just for them. They're watching me for what I make, which is fine. But if I veer off topic, or in that case, veer off country, you <laughs> lose a ton of views. And that was what got frustrating to me about the travel content. So I got so burned out by 2018. I even made a video called Burned Out from Traveling the World. I said it in 2018. <laughs> I said, I'm tired of traveling so much. I'm going to double down on New York City. And by that December, about three or four months later, my channel started to explode because a few of my New York City guides did well. Mm. And, 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 you know, then a couple of things happened. One was, and this is not a bad thing, I got married. However, my wife is from Mexico and her green card had to process. So she couldn't leave the country from, was it February of 2019? until September of 2019 and oh she was goodness. here on a, and she was here on a tourist visa when she entered in like September so i actually have not left north america since 2018 i've left i've been to canada puerto rico mexico and the us that's it this coming oh, wow. from a guy who made content in japan morocco europe i am dying to get back out there so we had that hold me back for a little while and then we had huge travel plans for 2020 in March. I was supposed March 2020. I was supposed to go to the UK, Italy, Sicily, and weeks before the trip, COVID happened. So it's just yeah. like one thing after another has held me back from getting getting to some travel content. And I, I do want to get back to those roots. Uh, I still consider myself a travel creator, but like a travel creator who does a lot of New York City content. I'm like a base here, but I still <laughs> want people to yeah. know that I'm willing to make content other places too. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think now that it's it's probably worked out to your advantage that all this happened in a way because you've been able to build a following and a fan base, I would imagine, that that have connected with you personally more so than back when you were in Mexico. You know, so 
now that you've you know you're about to hit 200,000 and honestly by the time this podcast is live you may have hit it already so if you're listening and you and you're at 199 so I don't see why not like you know anybody who's listening to this show right now go subscribe to here be bar and let's get him to 200k let's do it um thanks Dave I appreciate it <laughs> I don't see why not um but uh yeah I, I don't know where I'm going with it other than I, I would imagine that when you do get out there again you know you hopefully won't see that dip because you've been able to build a more solid fan base. I I'd like to think that, I mean, uh, for example, I just went to Chicago this past weekend and I filmed one video with a local YouTuber and I'm not expecting that video to do super well out of the gate. In fact, I'm expecting it to do poorly compared to my other content. However, I feel like if you make quality stuff that sooner or later, it's going to get picked up. So yeah, Maybe my travel stuff won't get the regular view count that I would get in a good New York video, but if it's a good video, I'm sure that over time it will do well. So you mentioned you have a camera guy now, but back in the day you didn't. Uh, how did you learn to vlog and how did you kind of get over that that awkward hump of vlogging in public by yourself? Just a lot of tri- a lot of trial and error, a lot of a lot of different cameras. I actually started with this awful camera. It was a Canon Vixia uh-huh. said it was, in 2016. They said it was the ultimate vlogging camera. It was this wide angle lens. So you couldn't even zoom. It was literally just a wide lens. It had an excellent microphone, but it wasn't the camera that I probably should have started with. Then after like was it six or seven months, I switched to the, uh, the G seven X Mark two, which is a wildly popular vlogging camera. I used that for, Ooh, uh, two years, I think. And now I have a Canon M50, which I yeah. got before that ill-fated trip to Japan in 2018. So I've <laughs> had the same vlogging camera for three years now. I probably would have upgraded it already if I didn't find my camera guy, but I still film videos without him from time to time. Lately, he's like 80, 90% of my videos, but I will make them without him. And I have a big trip planned this summer. So I'm looking to purchase a new camera. Nice. Maybe you can give me some advice. Maybe you can give me advice. But the, prob- <laughs> the problem is I love that the M50 is so lightweight and so portable. Yeah. Most of the cameras that I like are just too heavy. And when you're doing travel stuff, you're the, the issue with travel is you're running around. You don't want this beast in your arm all day. Yeah. It'd be different yeah, yeah. if I had a home office set up, like a home studio. Then I'd get the sure. nicest camera. I wouldn't care. You need something that's going to be in your backpack. I want to hold yep. it on a little tripod. It's got to be durable. I don't want it to be too big. So I don't know if you can help me with this, but yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm open to suggestions. I'm already, so obviously the best would be the A7S from Sony, in my opinion, because it gives you the flexibility of the low light performance. That thing can go to like 200,000 ISO. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, which means, you know, for a travel vlogger, being able to, you know, be at this random mom and pop hole in the wall restaurant at 10 o'clock at night, with available light, with string lights being your entire lighting in Sicily, you know, like being able to go to 50,000 ISO and have clean footage is going to be extremely valuable as a travel creator. That camera is bigger um, than the M50. It's still mirrorless, so it's nowhere near the size of like an ADD, which is what Casey used to vlog on. So it still is smaller than that. Uh, but Sony makes an even smaller camera that you may know of it's called the a7c it's actually the world's smallest full frame camera and sony uh makes some other lenses that are very small compact um the a7c is full frame 
and it's actually smaller than most uh most all mirrorless cameras um well i mean it it is the smallest one of all time um so that that might be a good option it is definitely better uh, it, it definitely is uh a little bit bigger than the m50 but i think with some practice um and some time you'll get used to it and it's still not big you know at all um and it's full frame so you're going to get the benefit of a much uh, better low light performance. It does, you know, really crispy 4K footage. Um, and it's got the mic jack in the right placement. Uh, so you can put a mic on it and still flip your screen around and it doesn't get in the way of the mic when you flip the screen. That's the thing that I hated about the M50 is when you plug a mic in, oh. you try to flip the screen, it gets in the way of the, you know, the mic. With Don't the, get me started on that camera, please. We can have a whole uh, podcast about why I'm angry with that camera right now. <laughs> going to interrupt this audio podcast to please remind you guys to head over to youtube.com slash ghpod. Maybe watch the rest of this video uh, instead of listen to it. It would really help with the YouTube algorithm. And if you are a YouTuber or you're somebody who enjoys watching YouTube podcasts, please consider subscribing, enable that bell notification and uh, heading over there. It helps this show more when we get views on YouTube rather than just audio podcasts. We will never stop doing audio podcasts. I know it's something everybody needs and wants. It's something that I personally enjoy. So I know for me as a user of the podcast app, uh, it's something that we'll never stop doing, but we are focusing more and more on video. So please head over to youtube.com slash ghpod and be a part of this podcast community on YouTube. Well, I, it's funny that camera, uh, really made my channel blow up. I, I got one. I used to host a channel called Kino Tika. Uh, that was the first YouTube channel that I had. And I reviewed that camera when it first came out and the video went viral. And so I made like five or six other videos about it and all of them get hundreds of thousands of views. I think the, the one official review is about to hit a million views pretty soon. And it's still that camera to this day is still can't one of Canon's top sellers. Um, it's just a, for the value and for the, the quality is the bang for buck, the size, it's still like a great all arounder. I mean, right now you could probably buy one on eBay for maybe $300, which is crazy. It's, you know, it's a solid camera for a vlogger, but I think if you want to take your, your game up to the next level, it just does not have oh, high yeah. enough quality and the stabilization it's old too. I mean, it's, it's annoyed me. I, I'm, I'm wondering why I haven't upgraded my camera. Like late, like I actually went to B and H in New York. That's one of the cool things about living in New York city that we have B and H yeah. fingertips. And I was with my camera guy. We were going through some stuff. He was telling me I, was what wondering I should if, buy. I was wondering if that's where you went. Cause I see two months ago, the truth about NYC's Hasidic Jewish community. I was like, that looks like he's in front of B and H over there. <laughs> no, that 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 actually had nothing to do with them. Even though, okay. yes, that's actually the tough thing about B and H. And I'm I'm Jewish myself. I'm more culturally than religious. But uh, going there, if you don't realize that it's Hasidic Jewish owned, there's a lot of Jewish holidays. They take off for every holiday. I know. So you come you come to New York and they'll be closed for a week for Passover. <laughs> kind of crazy. Well, yeah, being it, it's kind of funny. Like when I was a freelance filmmaker and director and stuff, it's always like, oh, we need, you know, hey, can you buy some more gaff tape or get a lens or whatever? It's like, ah, oh, BH is closed again. Dang it. You know, like they're yeah. always closed. <laughs> it's happened to me a couple, even I'm Jewish and it's happened to me. I, I, it's happened. I think one time or I went Saturday. and they were closed. Like I'm always, oh. I'm always browsing for stuff on Saturdays or Friday. Yeah. It's like, we're closed now. It's like, what? Come on. 
but, but no, it is I a mean, great, it's a great store. They are so friendly. Oh, with yeah. Everybody. The, yeah. It's a great customer store. service is top notch. I, I always buy from them. I don't care about, you know, the holidays. It, it, it doesn't bother me that much. It's worth it to wait and uh, buy it from them because they're such a, a quality uh, company. Yeah. And, you know, I support the fact that they're, you know, very diligent and religious and, you know, good for them. That's, that's really, you know, that takes a lot of uh, courage and guts to do that when it's hurting their business, they, they still believe strongly that that's so crucial and, and important in their lives that they, their priorities are, are straight. They're putting their family and, and their faith yeah. before the success of the business. And, uh, you know, some would argue that it's working for them because they're very successful. So, um, it, I've, I've heard like Chick-fil-A is the most, they make more money than all fast food in America combined and they're closed on Sundays, you know? So it's like, it doesn't really matter. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) there's actually, um, there's a topic I wanted to bring up if you're interested. Um, and I, cause I've been, I've been thinking about this. I've never talked about this on an interview ever, but I've really been thinking about how like going down that traditional media broadcasting route can be so limiting versus doing something like YouTube where you have an open canvas um, is it okay if I say something about that? Of course, please. Okay. No, so I've I have been really contemplating my past career. Uh, I've done a couple of videos where I talked about my old job, and I had somebody say something interesting. He said, "John, I don't think you failed at being a broadcaster. I think you just pivoted into something else, and you're yeah. still using those skills." And and I look back specifically at the sports broadcasting profession, and Hindsight's 2020. I think leaving college, I had probably a few strikes against me. Now, if you watch any game on television, and this takes nothing away from sports broadcasters, they're so hardworking. It's a very competitive field. I respect anyone who's made it to the top. This isn't sour grapes on my part, but you watch any broadcast, most of those guys sound exactly the same. It's like they want this archetype, at least for the guys, for the women, it's different, but if you're a male in sports broadcasting, usually they want you to have this like traditional deep baritone voice. So, you know, I have a decent voice, but I never had that kind of like deep pipes. And this was even something that trying to get an agent, they used to say to me, oh, you sound kind of young. Your voice is too thin. That was strike one. Strike two was that I did not go to one of the broadcasting powerhouse colleges. Look through the ranks of, of, ESPN or I don't know, NBC sports, you're going to see Syracuse all the time. There's a couple of schools like, I don't know, Ithaca is another one. Um, Maybe was it Kansas or USC? If you went to one of these schools, Fordham in New York city, maybe Seton hall, the doors were a little bit easier to open, which gets me to the last point because decision makers, a lot of them went to those schools. So in YouTube, there's nobody out there who's going to tell me I can't make a video titled 24 hours in Chicago. Yeah. There's no one who's saying, Oh, we can't put that on the travel channel. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the producer. I'm a director. I decide unless I say exactly. something stupid, no one holds you back. But for me, I couldn't broadcast a national game because none of the hiring guys wanted me. None of the agents wanted me. So you have doors that you have to open. And with YouTube, you can skip the door and open your own doors. And that's something that I really find refreshing about social media. And this stuff wasn't even 
around. When I graduated college in 2006, I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have said, I want to go make a travel show. The opportunities that kids have in college today compared to when I graduated 15 years ago, it's insane. It is insane what you can do these days without having to know the right people you know, having the right look, having the right voice, you can just skip that stuff now. This is what I really <laughs> yeah. love most about YouTube. Rant over. 100%, man. I mean, um, I, I really resonate with that personally because I, I was a freelance director and filmmaker for 10 years. And I would pitch these ideas and projects to music labels. I was doing music videos here in Nashville. And, you know, I felt like they were great ideas and, and I really wanted to do them. And they'd be like, oh, this is a great idea, but can we just have the guy sitting in a barn with, uh, you know, everybody's sitting in a circle singing the song? I'm like, well, the whole point was to be different. Like, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a great idea, but we should probably still have him like sitting in the back of a truck uh, in a barn, you know? I'm like, okay, well, I, this isn't for me. And so I started doing YouTube and it was so freeing coming from the video world and working with producers and directors and uh, different labels and and all that kind of bull crap where it was like, wait, I can, I am the creative director here. There's nobody, there's no barrier here. And Casey Neistat really opened that up for me in, in realizing that. And I think, I, I think he realized that himself. Um, so it's just so powerful. And, and I, my wife gets on to me cause we'll meet somebody, you know, at a, a party or, you know, church or whatever. And it's like, Oh, I, you know, I build, tiny homes, you know, or whatever. I'm like, Oh, you should start a YouTube channel. That's interesting. You know? And they're like, what? And Laura, my wife, she's like, David, not everybody wants to be a YouTuber, you know? So I'm like, that sounds exactly like me. I would have done the same thing. Oh, you should do a YouTube (laughs) channel about that completely. Like, yeah, we, we we're spreading the gospel about the power of YouTube. (laughs) Exactly. Once once you're in that club, you want everybody to join. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, um, it's funny as, as you mature in your, uh, on your time on YouTube, um, you want different things too. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm sure you were like to, to get a hundred thousand subscribers was like, you know, astronomically high and, and, uh, unobtainable in a way when you were starting out, but here you are about to hit 200, you know? And, uh, for me, you know, being able to, I was hosting Indie Mogul, you know, that over a million subscribers, one of the oldest, uh, YouTube channels on YouTube. I was the host and that was such a ridiculous, uh, dream job, but it still wasn't enough. You know, it was like, okay, I, you know, I want to get more views and you make more money. I want to do this instead. It's I'm never enough. It's never, it's never enough views. Whatever you get, you always want more. I've learned that. Trust me. Like it's, it's never enough. And, and the first day of your video, you're always not always, but a lot of times like, Oh, I thought this video would do better. The ex- yeah. sometimes the expectations are, are too high and, you know, we think we can control what the viewers want, but, um, deep down it's them who's they're clicking the button to watch, not you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes what we think will work is not what they want. And then sometimes mm-hmm. we get surprised that they actually liked the video or yeah. Preaching how do you balance? If that's the case, then how do you balance that yourself? How are you working on that? I mean, you, you mentioned your wife. I imagine you guys have, you know, a private, uh, in close relationship outside of the camera. Um, is that how you balance it? Time with her time with family, friends, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't really, on it. <laughs> I don't do, da- I don't really do daily vlog style that much. Like every now and then 
I'll do like lately I've tried to do these videos where I'll talk about a topic in New York. It's easy now because things are reopening. I just did a video. What did I title it? I titled it. Um, I, I was good. It was New York City is about to change. And my thumbnail looked like this. I was just kind of like contemplating. And I'm like, no one's going to watch this. The video has like almost 30,000 views. And it was mostly me talking about yeah, New York right, City yeah. updating. But I also uh, bumped into my wife while she was there. I went to a cafe and she was drawing something and I showed that. And then uh, I showed myself ordering salad at my local deli. So most of my stuff I'm not getting so personal. Usually it's more like a guide. Like we're in this neighborhood. I'm hanging out with this person who lives here. Or I'm hanging out with these people. Uh, this person, they're Chinese American. We're going to Flushing Queens, Chinatown. They're going to show me around. Usually it's more about the content. So for me, it's not too difficult because my channel isn't so much like, this is the day-to-day -day of John Barr being a YouTube yeah. creator. It's more like John's going to show you New York or John's going to show you travel. So I haven't had that kind of stress where it's like a family vlog where it's like, yeah. you know, these are, these are my kids. This is my wife. I do bring her on. But it's it's not something that's all the time, so it's sure. a little easier for me. Yeah. Well, that that brings me to another question. Uh, how do you um, find these people? Is it is it just random? You're walking down the street, or you know, you're like, hey, I'm gonna decide to go to this part of town, and we'll just see what happens. You know, see who we run into, see what kind of things happen, or is it or is it more planned out and, and structured? It's more planned out because of my personality. I think there are creators out there. I'll give a great example. Uh, what's his name? Bald and bankrupt. You know who he is? No, I don't. I'm, I'm he's not super very... into that niche. So I, bald and oh, it's bankrupt. okay. Yeah, he's uh, well, he's. I don't know if he's bankrupt anymore with having over a million subscribers, but he's still bald. So he's, uh, <laughs> he's he travels the world and he films on this little Sony camera that's a wide-angle lens, and it's 99% him just talking. There's almost no B-roll. But he's a type where he, he could just go talk to people and kind of put the camera down and get them to interact with him in a very entertaining way. I can't do that. I don't think I have the extroverted personality to run around like that. I plan things out. As far as my guests, uh, I get them a lot of ways. Sometimes I know them already. Sometimes a friend will recommend. Um, other times I've seen them on YouTube, on other channels. Like the mm. guy in the Hasidic Jewish video he did a whole series with another YouTuber about the Hasidic Jewish community. I said, hey, I want to do my my version of that video, my style. Do you want to do it with me? What's collab? He said, sure. Uh, I've seen people on channels. I don't know if I've ever just met someone randomly and said, take <laughs> I've never just met someone and said, hey, take me around your neighborhood. It's usually pre-planned. Or if I know the area, I might just do it myself. But I, that's one thing has changed on my channel a lot in the last year or so. I've been very big on these collaborations. Maybe I'm trying to copy Anthony Bourdain, but I just prefer mm. to have someone who really knows an area well, give me their local input. Yeah. I feel like it adds an extra dimension to the videos that wouldn't be there if I'm trying to act like this New York City know-it-all. You know, if I walked around the Bronx, <laughs> I walk around the Bronx and I'm like, guys, here's where to go in the Bronx. I could do the video. I could look up stuff, but it's never going to be as good as me having someone that's born and raised there showing me around. Uh, do, do you do all your own editing? So this is a good question for me right now because it, in the last five years, I edited probably 99% of my videos, a few exceptions. Just recently, I've been testing different editors out. Uh, I oh. had my, ca my camera guy was doing some editing. Now I've got a new guy who's going to edit one video a week for me. I was afraid to give away the editing 
because I have the time to do it, but I realize that there's people who could just edit better than me. They can edit tighter than me. They have abilities with, uh, with graphics, with after effects that I don't have the time to learn. Or honestly, I just don't have the interest in learning it. I yeah. just want my, ed- I, when I was editing, my goal was to get this thing out as quickly as possible. Yeah. There's people out there who, yeah, there's, there's people out there who can take my stuff to the next level. So now I'm. That's awesome. Slow, yeah, slowly but surely allowing others to, to edit my stuff. And I don't know what that flow is going to look like. But right now it's once a week with a professional and editor and then the, the other video that- I'll edit. Yeah, the thing that frees you up too is that, you know, if you can automate that and, and, and get more editors involved, then you obviously, you do have the time to edit, right? But that also means that if they're doing it, now you have time to do an extra video maybe each week, you know? So um, yeah. it, it you're able to shift things around and by having editors, you can even just take time off and spend time with your wife, you know? Uh, yeah, like that. That, that's a big one. I, I We're <laughs> always joking that I do all these videos around New York, but how often do me and her have a date night where yeah. I don't have a camera with me? That that has actually been tricky. So le- I've been happy. I've had more time just for her, just to go and explore New York with her, and you know, go to a happy hour, go to brunch or something. Yeah. Are you? Uh, this is kind of a deep question, but are you are you satisfied creatively? Are you happy right now? Uh I would say that I am satisfied creatively because I'm trying to make the channel actively better. I think I definitely maybe hit a rut a year or two ago where I was Mm. sort of floundering, like, okay, this is a lot of the same stuff, but I've got a camera guy who's really good. And my last video about flushing Queens, I had for the first time ever, in my opinion, a professional camera guy with a professional editor. We mixed these two things together and I created something that I was very proud of watching it. And I thought, wow, like, look how far I've come yeah. from this shaky, horrible vlog five years ago to I had two guests with me. I had a camera guy with me and I had some professional editor putting this all together. It almost I don't want to say it was like a TV show, but it was the closest I've ever had to a TV show. And I thought, wow, yeah. I don't think I ever imagined I could get to this level. But when you start to have people that are really good at a certain skill assisting you it doesn't take away from you as a creator you're just making the end product better even if i'm not filming and i'm not editing yeah 100 percent. what's been the response from your audience um seeing that change have you noticed anybody calling it out like hey all of a sudden <laughs> these are getting better or I, i've like had that? i've had compliments about the shooting i think it's too early with the editing and i and obviously when you work with a new editor there's things that we have to work on uh he did an amazing job, but I told mm. him like I, th- I felt like the video maybe it was a little too Buzzfeedy, like it okay. was too yeah. it was a little too polished, and I wanted to get back to a slightly more natural raw style. So we're gonna work on it. But he did incredible. Yeah. He did things. He put my face on a five dollar bill and had it pop up. <laughs> I watched this. I'm like Adriana, you've got to see this. Oh my god, look what this guy did. He did all sorts of crazy stuff that I didn't even tell yeah. him to do. It's so funny. I think yeah. I was just uh, sorry to cut you off. I think there's a slight delay on our on our feed here. I'm, I apologize. But okay. the thing that you saying that makes me think of uh, my conversation with Hayden Hillier Smith. If you haven't listened to it, I would definitely listen. To I it. watched some of it. He's great. Oh, my gosh. He I think every YouTuber should watch his stuff. You don't have to watch my interview. Just watch his content. But um, he's Logan Paul's editor. And he talks about the intentionality behind the scrappiness of the things that they're doing. and clearly Logan Paul, multi, multi multi-millionaire, you know, making tens of millions of dollars could afford a a film crew 
and and fancy editors. But Logan Paul, one of the biggest YouTubers in, on the planet, has one videographer and one editor, and that's it. And they keep it small, they keep it quick and and scrappy. They make their the quality of their content is the story, not the production value, if you will, of the of the the way it's shot. So it's interesting to hear you say that um, when, when you hire out these freelance editors, especially in New York, you know, you get these guys that probably are really, really sharp, really, really uh, sexy editors there, you know, and it's kind of like you got to teach them like, hey, we're not we're not editing a commercial or a documentary here. We're editing a YouTube video and it's a completely different language for an editor to learn. Yeah. And I was actually watching your interview with Hayden and he said something that really resonated well with me that I've been thinking about the last week. And as much as we don't want to hear it as YouTube creators, he said it well, when people go and watch Netflix, they, they want to sit their butts down and watch for an hour or however long the show is. They want to binge watch. YouTube is more of a distraction space. And if you don't edit a certain way, you could lose that viewer quickly. Mm. And that's like, even with my editor now, no matter what video we're doing, the first 30 seconds or so, I'm going to tell him to a T what scenes I want. He could play with it a little bit, but I'm going to say, I want this, 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 this first 30 seconds. Cause I have a vision of what we want in the intro. Mm. And I'm going to stick to that vision. Cause I've realized that having a tight intro is one of the most important things you can do as a creator. 100%. Obviously thumbnails are another big key of that. And, and your thumbnails are great. At what point did you start getting really intentional about your thumbnail design? And, you know, do you take a photo, you know, specifically for that moment? Do you pull screenshots from the video, a little bit of both or? I actually have a graphic designer who's a YouTube creator too. And, uh, you know, he was a professional. I think he got laid off about a year or two ago, but he still does other work with it. So now he does more freelance stuff. This is a guy who was working for some big companies and he does my thumbnails. So he's so good that a lot of times I'll say, this is a title of the video, come up with something for me. And he comes up with these off the wall concepts that are great. Like (laughs) I'm not going to say they're clickbait, but He does a lot of good background stuff and he has so many photos of me that I'll tell you from my video coming up in Chicago, I took a picture by the water. It was a beautiful day in Chicago. The water is like almost aqua blue. And I said, just, just insert me in there. He has like 10 different pictures of me from old thumbnails and put the word Chicago. So there's a lot of intentionality, a lot like with food, especially now we're working on something where we make the food kind of uh, shine a little bit. There's a little shine ratting to it. And, you know, I'd like to have an expressive look on my face. Uh, I want the food to look really good. If we do a food video, I don't, I don't take pictures of all the food. I'll tell him, like, you know, find it on the internet somewhere, a, a, a pork bun, or we're in Chinatown, a Peking duck bun. And he finds them and he puts them in. And I might be holding a chicken skewer in my hand, but he'll like blow the chicken skewer up and uh, he, he does <laughs> wow. good job. If you look at that last thumbnail, he did a great job on that. So uh, yeah, he, my, my thumbnail guy is really good. So <laughs> I give him full credit for that. Again, who would have thought five years ago, if you would have, you'd be able to speak to yourself and say, you're going to have a thumbnail guy full time. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have a gra- You're going to have a graphic designer an editor. You're going to have a, a videographer. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I never ever would have, I wouldn't have even thought about the possibility of any of this stuff about YouTube, awesome, man. paying my bills. This was never a thought for me. It's just a hobby. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that you're wrong if you start YouTube to make money because it's a viable career path for the right person. But that wasn't what got me into it. I just wanted to make fun videos and, and be creative because I was missing that after leaving broadcasting. What you mentioned money, making money. Obviously, you make money. What are your streams of income for, for your channel? Um, I would say usually, though this could change this month, usually AdSense is my biggest stream of income. Yeah. There's many creators who don't say that. I think one of the reasons for me is I'm very picky about brand deals. You know, I'm not going to do, what was it? Like League of Legends, Leg- <laughs> some, some little computer game. I'm like, I'm not putting this on my channel. I'm not that kind of a channel. Yeah. I'm very selective about brand deals. This month, I've actually have more brand deals coming than I've ever had before. And I think it's because travel is about to reopen and, and creators yeah. like me are suddenly going to be, become hotter commodities. But I would say that AdSense is number one. Um, I also have a Patreon. And while not the largest stream of income, it's been very steady for the last two years. And they really helped me out when my views plummeted. We didn't even really talk about this, but when Corona hit, mm-hmm. I lost 50 or 60% of my viewers within three days. Within oh, one week, man. you could look at the graph in March and see interest plummet in travel content. So yeah, they were there when my AdSense went went down a lot. So that's another source. I'll sell some of my content to services that want to put it on their websites. Oh, that's that's, true. Been, in, that's been interesting. Yeah, yeah, that the, makes us that type of content would sell well for agencies and, and companies, you know, selling ads on different cities and travel, you know, commercials and stuff. Yeah, I, I would say those are the big ones for me right now. Yeah. What do you what kind of value do you bring to the Patreon uh, people or do you just kind of, you know, hey, if you love my channel, you want to show your support. This is a way to do it. But do you do you give them like a a live stream or anything like that, you know, once a month or I don't know. I give them uh, I give them quite a lot. I think, uh, you know, if you join my Patreon for $5, you get early access to my videos, which sometimes like three days early. Sometimes it's at night early. Every once in a while, it's an hour early. You'll see the video first one live stream per month. Um, I, I post little updates on there. If they join at $10 or higher, I give them access to a map that I created of New York. Um, it's like an app called Mapster. Oh, cool. So they have access to like almost any place I've ever visited in any video, like 350 locations on this map on their phone. So they're going to be walking New York and be like, did John cover this area? And they could zoom in and see. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah, it's, it, that's a cool one for them. And then I think at $25, uh, if they're that here for a certain amount of time to get merchandise and then a hundred dollars i'll do a one hour phone call with them like a mm-hmm. consultation and i've had some people actually surprisingly pay for that which is great because they value my time and they get an hour face to face with me to talk about whatever they want well yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean yeah i do owe you a hundred bucks after this conversation you owe me oh <laughs> we're, maybe we're i owe you a hundred bucks <laughs> no that's that's cool yeah i was just asking uh for a friend uh honestly for myself. I'm just curious about Patreon. And you know, it's interesting how YouTube has a membership uh, solution built in, but I just see so many creators using Patreon, I guess, because it's a third party. And you know, you can get people who don't even watch your videos, maybe follow you on Instagram or whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's just outside of YouTube. And it, it's kind of accepted now. It seems like almost everybody 
understands what Patreon is. Um, and it, it, you know, Hey, if you want to subscribe to my Patreon, like that's, everybody says that it, it seems to be kind of culturally accepted. Um, yeah. that makes sense. And you have some great, um, like things on, on your Patreon. I have, I've known a couple of creators who just have it there and they say, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm not going to give you anything. Just subscribe if you're, if you want to, you know, <laughs> like, so. Yeah, I, that's fine too. I, I wanted to give them as much value as I could. And I really like the Patreon community. I also have a Facebook group. Like I, I'll post little updates oh, cool. in there about like New York city or other things. So I, I feel like they get a lot of access if they spend like, just like, I wanted the lowest tier to provide a lot of value. Like if you just have $5 a month, I want you to feel like you got $20 worth of value out of this. That's the way I look at it. That's awesome, man. Um, so what, I mean, what's next for you? What, what, what are you looking forward to this year? I mean, you brought up a good point that probably in the next couple months, creators like yourselves are, are probably going to start to see a spike and then that's going to just, that's going to like land the plane beautifully in November when that AdSense goes through the roof. <laughs> so, oh yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> November and December and January are like the best. Uh, I guess you could probably even throw October in there. Um, but man, November, December, whew, the AdSense money is insane. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got, I, th- I believe last month or maybe it wasn't last month, but it was some kind of a 30 day window. I had about 1 million views, which was the first time I'd hit that since about February of 29, uh, February 2020. So it was almost a year since I got. So I feel like my channel is pretty much back to the level it was at pre-pandemic. Now, hoping with tourism coming back, New York reopening soon, I think they're going to allow people from Europe and the UK, which is a big audience of my channel, to re-enter the US. So I'm just looking to go full steam. Uh, I'm looking that. to add. I'm looking to add some travel content. I'm going to be going this summer. I guess I haven't really announced this anywhere publicly until here. I told my Patreon I'm planning on going to Greece and Turkey. So awesome. I want to make some content out there. I want people to realize that I'm not just a New York City creator. And a case in point, I was in Chicago and I was filming a video with a local YouTuber there and we're walking on the train tracks. So uh, I call my viewers, I have a little nickname. I say members of the Barrio, what's up? Something like that. And yeah. he said, yo, Bar- Barrio John, what's up? I'm like, hey, He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I'm making a video. And I realized like, of course he would say that because he thinks that I just make New York content. So trying yeah. to break out of just being a New York creator yeah. and showing people that I'm more versatile and like, you know, follow my stuff. If I'm, I'm still going to do mostly New York content. I'm, I'm never going to go back to where I was in 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. I have too many ties here right now, but yeah. I want to you can still travel. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I can still travel from time to time and say, Hey, you like this style of content? Check me out in Nashville. Check me out yeah, man. in Paris. <laughs> we'll have to hook yeah. up, get some, uh, get some hot chicken. <laughs> yeah, let's do let's do a, let's do a video of like Nashville's best food or something. I'm down. Oh my gosh, we'd we'd be so fat. I found yeah. right down the street from my house is uh, just a little food truck. We've driven by it, you know, ever since we lived here the last two months, and it's a rib uh, smoked barbecue, you know, oh, big smoker. And I'm like, there's always a line wrapped around. I'm like, that place is probably really good, but I just never went to it. This weekend, we bought a bunch of a rack of ribs and chicken. I swear to you, it's the best freaking ribs I've ever had in my entire life. Like unbelievably just perfect. The smoky flavor, the the way the meat fell off the bone. Oh, I'm getting hungry right now. I could eat it every day. Again, you're going to be hungry just describing it. 
but uh yeah i mean it's it's real exciting to to hear that man and i'm i'm excited for you and i'm glad that we we met and i'm going to be following your channel and again if you're listening to the show and you're not a subscriber already go subscribe now um to john Barr's channel we'll link it in the description we'll link it in the show notes john to kind of close us out here what is one mistake that you've made along the way on your journey on youtube that you would kind of have as a cautionary tale to anybody else uh, getting started on youtube wow i could give you a, 10 mistakes just to say one just to say one like one give me a mistake? couple give me give me okay. give me two or three if you want it's fine <laughs> okay one would be taking shortcuts of, with your channel trying to grow by spamming groups and not actually creating good content because if you create good content subscribers will find you if you get views the subscribers will follow don't assume getting subscribers in any way shape or form is actually going to help you grow your channel they might just yeah. subscribe and never watch again i would say two is knowing who your audience is if if you don't really have a focus if you think you can just make random content there's very <laughs> yeah. few channels that can get away with that there's very few personalities out there that can do that they exist and maybe you find them because they're so big on youtube but if you can narrow down your niche a bit you're going to make your life so much easier. I did that myself when I just started really focusing on New York City. I, I don't regret it at all, even though it will make my travel stuff more difficult. Something else that I maybe you could add to this. I mean, it sounds like you do collaborate with a lot of people. And, and I think having people in your life that you can collaborate with, whether it's a shooter, an editor, or other YouTubers that can kind of reinvigorate your, your creative juices, if you will, just being around other like-minded people for me oh, yeah. is huge. Oh, for sure. Co collaborating with other channels. And they don't even have to be a YouTuber. If you're in some kind of a niche on YouTube where you can just get other people, I guess with vlogging, it's easier. It's going to make your videos more entertaining. Like, I don't care how funny you are. You're always going to be better when you start to mix in uh, other personalities and other characters onto your channel. I mean, it might be a little trickier if you're like a, a tech review channel and you're always home. Yeah. Maybe you maybe you don't need that. But then you could do a Jevin, our, our mutual friend has done where he's even gotten me onto a video talking about my camera in New York. You could still collaborate with people just yeah. with the power of the internet. They could send you stuff like don't overlook that and not even for them to share you with their audience, but actually of, of creating better content by just having more people and more perspectives uh, on the channel. And probably the last one and maybe the most important, and I would describe this as my driver's ed teacher when I was driving saying, if there's one thing you remember, it's <laughs> always check your blind spot when you pull out of a spot. I would yeah. say if there's one thing you remember about my advice today, it's never, ever, ever underestimate those first 30 seconds. Like whatever your title is, get to that title immediately. Like have people justified in the reason they clicked on your video because there's nothing worse than, than doing something stupid in the intro that gets people uninterested and your other nine minutes are great. They took you 12 hours to edit and your video is about best fried chicken in New York. But in the <laughs> intro, you, tr you tried making some jokes about something with your wife and people think, I don't have time for this. Because remember, yeah. YouTube, in a sense, is a way for people to distract themselves. And if they don't get what they came there for quickly, they're going to find someone else. I saw a tweet yesterday. Uh, YouTube just shared data on the most used intro greetings. Ooh. Number one. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> between 2010 and 2020 youtube started they they put together a graph here number two is uh 
good morning or no number two is what's up number three is good morning hi guys all right hey everyone basically just get to the point already you know what i mean <laughs> do 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 what mr beast does if, if his video is about burying himself in uh nerf balls <laughs> his intro is gonna be Today, I'm going to bury myself in a thousand Nerf balls. He literally just restates the exactly. title. That's the, that's the easiest way to do any video on YouTube. If you if you just restate your title in the first two to three sentences, I think you're doing better than most people. 100%. And he's he's a good person to to look up to because he's crushing it. So Yeah, completely. Um, anyways, thank you so much, John, for coming on the Golden Hour Podcast. It was a real pleasure. I loved this interview because... I think you just have a great perspective on things coming from broadcast journalism to now being a full-time creator for the last couple of years, transitioning your channel and seeing the growth. So excited for your future. And I'm, I'm thankful that we got to meet each other and uh, we'll stay in touch for sure, man. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Dave, for having me. I hope your audience enjoys my perspectives. I'm definitely going to keep watching uh, your podcast <laughs> as well. Thank you a lot. And let's, let's get you to 200 K. I'm sure you're already there by the time people watch this, but hope if so. you're not, Go over there. What are you doing? Come on, let's go. You'll probably hit it tomorrow, to be honest. <laughs> no, probably a week, maybe less. We'll see. Well, perfect. This podcast is coming out next week, so let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with John Barr. I sure did. And man, his voice was epic and amazing. Of course, he went to broadcast school. Uh, that's what makes you the legit real deal, right? I'm sure he's already hit 200,000 subscribers at this point, but if he hasn't, continue to hit subscribe. We want to get him up there, and uh, maybe in the future you'll be listening to this. He's like, what are you talking about? John's got like half a million right now. You know, we'll see. This podcast made me really hungry for some New York food. Some New York pizza would be really nice right now. Again, uh, I am considering doing some other things with this show. So let me know your thoughts on Twitter, Instagram, things like that. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. And we'll see you next week.